1: Father I just want to thank you for this lovely week getting a lot of work done and the things that just blossom and we tend not to look at the rain and the snow and the inclement weather as being curses or inconveniences but now we see what all of that has wrought as things pop out of the ground and out of the trees and the birds are flying we thank you for that and we appreciate the clear day for driving here to worship in spirit and truth We thank you once again for Pastor Borkman and his timely book, especially in this day and age where so much is being decided based on the ungodly emotions of those. And we ask your blessing on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We began Section 4 of Feelings and Faith last week. Section 4 is Cultivating Godly Emotions with a two-part look at Jesus, our pattern. Today's Jesus, our pattern, part two, chapter 15. Let's start with a quote from Borgman. Our attachment to Jesus as his disciples should compel us to relish his beauty and delight in his perfection. As we look to him, our sins are revealed. We go to him as our redeemer who will cleanse us and forgive us, but we also go to him as the one who can transform us into his image. Last week we talked about we spent a lot of time, rightfully so, as evangelicals defending the deity of Christ. But also don't forget he was fully human, and we should appreciate that as well. Because in his humanity we can relate to the fact that we are being formed into that image, and what was his emotional makeup and balance as a human being. And we took a look at some aspects emotionally of Christ, and we're going to take a look at a few more this morning. Imagine living for years without a hug or even a handshake. Imagine every place you went, you had to cover your mouth and announce your arrival with the words, unclean, unclean. The life of the leper was lonely. He was an outcast, living outside the realm of human touch and compassion. Let's talk about the compassion of Jesus now as we begin part two. In chapter one, way back at the beginning, we learn that God is compassionate. And we've read many scriptures having to deal with this compassionate. And now, this is a message that is repeated throughout the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Exodus 34, verse 6 says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. When our Lord became a man, he embodied the Father's compassion. Now, let's do a biblical word study on the word compassion. Some words convey that compassion is a feeling deep inside of us. When studying the biblical word compassion, some renderings in the original manuscripts have that word as being a feeling deep inside of us. And other studies of that word indicate that the emphasis is on the action of mercy or of compassion. So compassion is most certainly an emotion, one of tenderness and sympathy, which motivates the giving of help. This is our Lord Jesus, Jesus was filled with compassion toward those in physical distress, the blind, lepers, hungry, or those grieving over the death of a loved one. Jesus was deeply moved by human suffering and need. On each occasion, he demonstrated compassion. How about the leper in Mark 1, verses 40 through 42? He was a social outcast. He was required to announce his presence by saying, Unclean, unclean, according to Leviticus 13. Human touch was prohibited. Instead of being repulsed by the leprosy, however, Jesus was moved with compassion. You can find that in Mark 1. Our Lord reached out his hand and touched him, and with that touch came healing and a moving demonstration of compassion in action. Now consider Jesus' close friends, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. When Lazarus became ill, Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, but Jesus delayed and Lazarus died. That's in John 11. The Son of God knew what was in store. He delayed on purpose. Nevertheless, as he saw the distress of his friends, he wept, Jesus, who was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, was so moved with compassion over their grief that he cried. The Lord Jesus also felt and expressed compassion toward those who had deep spiritual needs. He felt compassion for those who were like sheep without a shepherd in Matthew 9. He also had compassion for the lost sheep of Jerusalem, and this is how he expressed it. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her her wings, and you would not. Matthew 23. B.B. Warfield says, It hurt Jesus to hand over even hardened sinners to their doom. See, the Lord Jesus is our pattern for compassion, he feels for the people in their affliction. He promises out of compassion to deal gently with his sheep. He feels for those who are sick and suffering. He has compassion for the lost and perishing, even in their rebellion against his rule. The compassion of Jesus should mold and shape our own emotions. And we need to see people as Jesus sees them and feel for them as he feels for them. 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And then there is, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Colossians 3. And out of First Peter, finally all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That was from Peter. Borgman says, may, the, may God the Father, who is full of compassion, and the Lord Jesus, who is our model of compassion, fill us through the Holy Spirit with the holy emotion of compassion that compels us to relieve suffering, misery, loneliness, and lostness wherever we can. When we do that, people will see Jesus. That was the compassion of Jesus. Let's talk about the love of Jesus, and this is crucial here. Jesus perfectly displayed the love that has been given to us through salvation, written in our hearts. The love which embodies the two great commandments. Let's get into that. Now, many couples have used 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, in their wedding ceremony. It's not inappropriate to look to that passage as inspired directions on how to love each other. But let us look to the Lord Jesus as he personifies the love as it is described in 1 Corinthians 13:4 through 7. First of all, his love is incarnate. He perfectly fulfilled the first and the second great commandments which is to love God with everything we are and our neighbors as ourselves. So Christ loved his Father with a pure love. His love for his Father encompassed the whole man, heart, soul, mind, and will. Christ's love for the Father was obedience to the Father. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. John 14. Jesus also demonstrated the second great command, which is neighbor love. Jesus loved people who would not follow him, as in the case of the rich young ruler. And he also had special love for his disciples. He also loved his enemies. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, Luke 6. How did Jesus love his enemies? He prayed for them. The call to love others as ourselves, love our enemies, and love God is written upon our hearts. That's my red star for me personally, because I often overlook, especially this verse, going back to Jeremiah. Let me read it to you. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. The love of Christ is something that God puts in us when he saves us. According to Romans, a hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 1 John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another also. You can't have the one love without the other. They're both the two major categories of commandments. I was thinking about this in the abstract, and I was trying to formulate the words because it dawned on me this morning when looking through this, those who claim to be spiritual or to do things for the betterment of people, to be good people, to live a good life. I've often asked my son when we have discuss spiritual principles. He, don't, he doesn't believe in God. He's agnostic. He's atheistic, whatever he was then. But he wants to do this good for his daughter and this good for these people. He wants to be this kind of neighbor. And i would say, why? Why? To be a good human being, to be a good member of the earth, to well, you don't believe in whoever's going to keep score, right? So, and, and not just nominal Christians, but mostly people that don't believe in God are are positively antagonistic toward God, religion, any of us who have a faith. But then still prance around telling us that they're doing all these wonderful things as love for their neighbor, even citing the golden rule. You can't have the one without the other. you got to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They're written on your heart when God saves you. Saying that something that you espouse is for the greater good for people, whether it be political or social causes, to affirm people for certain things and claim that that's one half of the loves we're talking about here. I love my neighbor because I want he or she to be whatever identity they claim, and that would be proper. You believe in God? No, there's no God. You can't have both. You have to have both. You can't have one or the other. For Christ-like love to be cultivated in our hearts, we must preach to ourselves that we can love because God first loved us. Hard words. You can't love biblically unless God loves you first. We can have our hearts overflow with love for others that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine. And now the perfect balance of Jesus. We talked about emotional stability at the beginning of this book. One of the goals of this section on cultivating God of the emotions is that we develop greater emotional balance and stability. The truth of God's word provides ballast for our emotions. You understand what ballast is, right? It's a weight that counteracts an imbalance. I have this shower caddy that hangs over this shower pipe in my bathroom. It just hangs there. The suction cups don't work because, well, whatever. But I put shampoo and conditioner and soap and those little loofah down the back on this little shower caddy. But if I get a brand new bottle of conditioner, that's 14 gallons that I get from Lydia, and I put it on one side of the caddy, it goes whoop over here, right? So I've got to put stuff to unbalance that out so it's nice and straight because I can't stand an unstraight shower caddy. So I have to add ballast to the other side to make it even. Now you know what ballast is, don't you, Jay? Once again, the Lord Jesus is also the pattern for emotional balance or symmetry. Our Lord Jesus was always perfectly balanced in his emotions. His emotions never got the better of him. Here is an example of our Lord's emotional balance. When Jesus heard of the Roman centurion's faith, he said, or it is written in Matthew, He marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found with such faith. The Greek word for marvel means to wonder, to be amazed, or to be astonished. On another occasion, when Jesus was in his hometown, we read, And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief same word jesus marvels in nazareth because of their unbelief same word marvel of the faith of the roman centurion so he experienced positively the feeling of astonishment in response to the centurion's faith and negatively in response to the nazareth jews unbelief balance of the same emotion such symmetry is the mark of emotional health because emotions are appropriately responding To our certain values and evaluations. We could point out the same balance when it came to our Lord's anger. His anger was always balanced, poised, and measured. In Mark 3, we see Jesus' anger in response to the hard heartedness of the Pharisees when they closed their hearts to a man in need. And then the cleansing of the temple in John 2, balance. The sternness of Jesus is another example of his perfect balance. Some people think that speaking any sharp word is always wrong. More than a few people believe that directness and firmness are signs of carnality. The Lord Jesus demonstrated a sternness and firmness when appropriate. This is not inconsistency. It is the perfect balance between gentleness and firmness, grace and truth. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' response, were always fit for the occasion. Here's a few. <clears throat> See if you remember these. Oh, you of little faith, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? That's sternness. As we consider our Lord Jesus, we become painfully aware of our own emotional inconsistencies. Beware of chalking them up to your temperament or my personality. Personality classification may be nothing more than covering for our lack of emotional balance. See, our emotional responses often reflect our own lack of symmetry, balance, right? We fail to marvel when we should. We fail to be astonished when we should. We get angry over personal insults, but are passive when God's name is blasphemed, Our harsh words flow when they should not. When they should, we are too timid to speak. Guilty, guilty, (laughs) guilty. I am. So in conclusion, there are no magical formulas to becoming more like Jesus. It's a supernatural process which requires us to fill our minds with Christ. We read of him in the Word from Genesis to Revelation. We need to read Christ-centered authors who have the gift of displaying Christ in the written word. We must listen to Christ preached from the Bible in our churches. I'm watching a YouTube uh, of a Blaze TV host that I watch occasionally, Christian and also a former Sports Talk radio show host and author and editor. And he's a new Christian, and he's surrounded himself with good Christian men, many reformed. But this host has had a um, on again, off again attraction to a pastor in a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, this pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, has a mega church and is very uh, charismatic and seems to say the right things, very charismatic. Anyway, the other day they were taking apart this pastor's Easter sermon. And one of the things that was brought up was that this pastor really failed to deliver a gospel message strongly from the pulpit on Easter Sunday. We need to also sing of Christ in the songs of Zion, old and new, old-time hymns. So let's listen to the words of John Owen and put these in your heart. It is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified and built up in this world, for as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grow strong and stronger. It is by faith that we grow to love Christ. So, if we desire strong faith and powerful love, which give us rest, peace, and sanctification, we must seek them by diligently beholding the glory of Christ by faith. In this duty I desire to live and die. On Christ's glory I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world. It will become to me something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for giving us a great send-off in these two chapters to remember the humanity of our Lord and Savior and how we displayed a balance of emotions perfectly executed in response to his values and evaluations, his truths. Dear Lord, help us to keep in mind your heavenly example as a human every day when we experience emotion-evoking events. Please conform us to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.